Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Today's episode is brought to us by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Help? I need somebody help. Always somebody. Uh, is, is there, <laughs> I just had, I had way too much fun with that. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, I know it's always been comparing myself to others or uh, being afraid to ask for my needs to get my needs met because I feel like then you would abandon me or it was just like feeling like I'm not enough. The service BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Hear it from a a review written by BetterHelp user CH after counseling with Dr. Carmen Velazquez for two weeks on issues concerning depression intimacy-related issues, self-esteem, and ADHD. Quote, Dr. Velasquez is great. She checks in frequently over chat, had good availability on the app, and has a lot of tactical methods to try, which I appreciate. End quote. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's even more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available for those that need financial support. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. That's right. BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. Always wanted that little slash before my name. Now I have a slash. Uh, That's H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I also have a special offer for all BYKY listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. I just love saying the forward slash Leo. Again, it's BetterHelp forward slash L-E-O. I use pendulums a lot for my anxiety because they really do. Have you ever used a pendulum before? So I've had some Reiki work done. And oh, okay, great. She, she used the pendulum and I've used it once, but you know, um, but I haven't used it since then. So talk to us about the pendulum. All right. So the pendulum comes in super handy with anxiety because usually anxiety is related to feelings of powerlessness. And so if you take a pendulum and you kind of it kind of, you, you kind of move it a little, it depends on what you're doing. So if you're, if you're doing it to fidget or to manage anxiety, like I'm doing it right now, um, you move it yourself. But when you're doing energy work, uh, like Reiki and you're, you're holding it above chakras, it will move on its own. But for this purpose, if you kind of move it in a clockwise position about at your solar plexus, you will feel and ease gradually come. It's really, really interesting because you're essentially 
regulating that energy center when you use a pendulum. It's kind well, of I, wild. So it's kind of it. hypnotic, also, right? Because yes, what when I think about anxiety, it's thinking about the past. Uh, wait, anxiety is thinking about the future, and then depression is thinking about the past, and peace is th- is being in the present. Um, and I would imagine that focusing your eyes on a pendulum swinging uh, would bring you to the present, which uh, would also help in reducing the anxiety. Yes. And you don't even have to keep your eyes open. Even if you close your eyes, just feeling the movement and focusing on it is like a meditative, uh, can be part of a meditative practice. I know a lot of people that meditate with pendulums and use mantras too. Um, Do you have a mantra? I don't typically use a lot of mantras. Uh, I have a friend that does a lot of pendulum meditations and she has a mantra for each chakra. I can't remember specifically. I know that for the solar plexus, it's something about power or that like repeating, I am powerful, you know, over and over again, um, rather than powerless to counteract any kind of anxious feelings. You know, it was interesting. You brought up the chakras and even people who don't study or are aware of chakras, we kind of intuitively try to tap into it. You know, when we're frustrated with a problem or an issue or trying to think about something, we kind of intuitively, intuitively tap our, our, our third eye, you know, or rest our hand on that area um, or, you know, bring our arms to our chest. Like we're, we're kind of doing it in these subtle ways, just not and unaware of how we're doing it. Can you talk to us about the chakras and what they mean? That's interesting. Yeah, you do find that people uh, will cross their arms and kind of either cover the area where their solar chakra would be or maybe up by their chest. Um, And that's funny that you mentioned the third eye thing, people like touching their foreheads. Um, You know, like the face palm is kind of funny (laughs) when somebody does something stupid. We're always doing that face palm gesture. Uh, But yeah, that's a totally unconscious, um, we're not really conscious of connecting with our energy in that way, but that is true. I I don't think I ever considered that before. I mean, body language is super powerful, right? When we're talking about communication um, or nonverbal communication, at least. So our chakra systems are, um, I didn't get into learning about this stuff until specifically energy centers until probably I would say about three years ago when I really felt drawn to understand Um, something a little bit deeper than what meets the eye being in the health fields, studying the body as, you know, a very physical piece of matter and then kind of moving into, okay, well, the more you study the body and you understand how it's actually, all of our processes are based in energy. So then it brought me to the, to, you know, more Eastern types of thought. So with our chakra systems, there's seven major chakras. Uh, the root chakra is the first chakra. It's typically represented by the color red or like a deep, a deep color red. Um, that chakra is located in your groin area, so to speak. So there's a lot uh, when you reflect on your root chakra energy, you're thinking about um, a lot of spiritual communities will talk a lot about sexual energy or Um, you can have hyperactive chakras and you can have underactive chakras. If your root chakra is underactive, that can manifest as not feeling very confident, um, you know, not having a high sex drive or a libido, 
And then, of course, you have the alternate, which is having hyperactive chakra, sacral uh, root chakra, where you're uh, you're kind of hyper focused on survival, and um, sometimes that can present itself as being hyper focused on procreation. Though we don't really think of sex all the time as procreation, but that's its base function, right? Um, and a lot of times, I think that there's a miscommunication within ourselves that we're actually looking for connection. Um, and sometimes the only way people know how to do that is through sex. And so, you know, if they're having um, uh, if their root chakra is kind of underactive, a lot of times like energy practitioners will kind of know that there's probably, whether it's hyperactive or underactive, there's some kind of, it usually does present in some kind of, in the physical as like a sexual issue, especially in marriages and things like that. Um, the second chakra is the sacral chakra. The, and that's, uh, that's like between the, the belly button and the the genital area. And then the third is the, the solar plexus. So that near your solar plexus. Um, so that's right above your belly button. And then you have your heart chakra, your throat chakra, which, you know, their names kind of give you direction as far as where you would be able to find those energy centers physically. Uh, and then you have your third eye chakra and your crown chakra. Uh, all those also give you an idea of where to find them uh, on your physical body. Um, the interesting thing about chakras and what really brought me to them was somatic therapy. So once you start getting into somatic therapy and connecting really with your body, um, you can be prompted by a therapist that's uh, trained in parts work or that does somatic forms of therapy. And once you connect start connecting with your body and kind of finding where your feelings reside, you'll find these connections with the chakra systems and the feelings associated. So um, like your solar plexus, your solar plexus area, a, a lot of people feel feelings in the, in that area. And when you think about, when you really dig into why you're feeling specific feeling, you will come up with feelings of powerlessness or helplessness. Um, so the more that you study your own body and your own feelings, you kind of get brought back to these chakra systems and what they represent. And it's a very, very helpful tool in energy work. So for someone who identifies a feeling of powerlessness uh, in their solar plexus, then what's the next step to move from feeling powerless to powerful? Or so that's peace. maybe not even powerful, but just finding peace. Yeah, finding a balance. So the, the, the thing about the chakra systems is it's balance, finding a balance. And um, the next step is really so specific to the individual because, I mean, the way that I approach health is in such a holistic manner. I, I not only do I bring, bring in psychology, which is as a registered nurse, I've worked as a psych nurse for the last eight years. Um, you bring in that cognitive piece and then you bring in, there's a physiological piece too. It, you know, sometimes you're feeling anxious because you're, uh, you're deficient in vitamins and minerals. You're not getting the appropriate nutrition. And so if you really think about how our bodies create energy, you know, you really need essential amino acids and your, your nutrition needs to be balanced for you to be balanced. And that's, that's a, people that are, you know, really have 
imbalanced nutrition are going to have an imbalanced energy system and imbalanced emotions. Um, the next, so the next step to kind of clear some of this really needs to be approached in a holistic manner because you have to check in with this person's diet and nutrition. You have to check in with this person's life circumstances, you know, like repeating a mantra and doing a little bit of Reiki is not going to, it's just going to come back. Um, so there's short term and there's long term. If you're really trying to use energy work to help you uh, recognize some of these deficiencies, whether it's nutritional, emotional, or energetic, you really have to be involved in a multidisciplinary approach because these these issues just keep coming back if you're not really taking a step back and looking at your circumstances as a whole. You're not going to be able to effectively clear any of these issues. I love that. And and because you talked about being multidisciplinary and bringing psychology into your work and cognitive behavioral therapy. Can you give the listeners a background as to the type of work that you do do? So I do holistic integration coaching. Um, I host workshops, at least pre-COVID, I was in yoga studios. <laughs> um, but I've transitioned to doing more of a live platform. Um, and essentially what I do is... Tr- I think the bottom line is you have to come back to yourself and the life, the lives that we live are so focused on our external. They're so focused on our environment. They're so focused on strategies to attain validation and gratification and approval. And it's always from some external source, whether it's our job or our significant other, or, you know, our, parent-teacher association or whatever it is that we're looking to find validation through. So my work is really focused on bringing people back to themselves. And I do have a holistic approach to that. But the very first parts of the workshops that I do are really focused on like where you are in space. Do you even have a connection to your body? Have you lost that really important awareness of where you are in space and what your body feels because a lot of times in the first few sessions of my workshops people will break out in tears because they're like oh my god I don't even know what I feel you know I bring out feelings wheels all the time I'm a big proponent for feelings wheels (laughs) Um, and I feel that you can't really move anywhere until you learn to facilitate a relationship with your body with your emotions and with your mind and so the first few workshops are really centered on um, mind-body connection, and, and I do it through meditation, usually a gratitude meditation. Um, and then from there, we do we end up working our way into shadow work. Uh, but I find it's most helpful to help people. I hold space for people to facilitate a relationship with their own body, with their own emotions, and with their own mind. And I walk them through how to do that. And the tricky thing about it is there's no one size fits all. So when I host a workshop, I sit with the participants and I really have to feel where they're at and find a nexus, find a a middle ground that they can all relate to and go from there. Um, I do bring a lot of Young uh, in psychology into my work. I bring a lot of um, integrated family systems or IFS and somatic therapy into my work um, because the bottom line is the healthcare system doesn't really teach you how to help yourself. We we give you medication and hope you make it through the night and don't kill yourself. And it's it's the most unfortunate. I mean, I got into nursing thinking you know I was going to be able to help people, but 
you know, then I realized I was pretty much a glorified pill pusher. <laughs> and so I started um, trying to branch out a little bit on my own and integrating my um, energy work uh, into my practice, as well as uh, my background in psychology and health and medicine. Not that I don't, I think medicine is great. I think medication is great. It really is important to stop a bleeding wound. It's just, if you think of trauma work um, in an energetic or psychological way and compare it to trauma, like out in a war zone, you have to find a way to stop the bleeding, right? So that you can find the source of the bleeding. So I think medication works in that in that frame of reference, like it is a way to stop the bleeding until you can find the root cause and the source. And that's where I think a lot of these integrative therapies that are emerging and becoming more popular are really going to help people navigate their inner world. You know, you brought up to, to backtrack just a little bit, the whole like somatic therapy and yes. uh, our couples therapist recommended, cause you know, I'm, <clears throat> I struggle with panic attacks. Uh -huh. And uh, I'm constantly managing my anxiety. It all starts with sleep for me. But one of the things our therapist recommended was to for my girlfriend to just place her hands on my chest. And I don't huge. know why that's soothing, but immediately I can feel my cortisol levels drop. Can you talk to us about what's happening there? And are there other places where we could put our hands to? uh, to soothe us? That is a fantastic question. Um, okay. So I'll start at the top with that. Um, so we have, our skin is so extrasensory, but we're, we're kind of immune to it. Right. Um, so we have these mechanoreceptors in our skin and when somebody touches us like that. So that's, it's so interesting that you brought that up because that works for me too. In intimate relationships, the best thing you can do when I'm anxious is take your hand and put it right on my chest. Um, there, there are a couple things happening there. You have, there's modulation for your neurochemistry happening there. Um, I would suspect that you're, when you're anxious, you need connection. And so when you're, ha you're not only, when your girlfriend comes to you and she's putting her hand on your chest, not only is she giving you that physical connection, which is creating a cascade of calming chemicals for, for your body, but she's also connecting with you in a very intimate and energetic way. Um, like we just talked about the heart chakra, right? And she's essentially putting her hand there. And if she's, if, if her intent, so there's a difference between intent and motivation. Energetically, they feel very different. Um, Intent is very ego-driven. It's very electric. I mean, sorry, motivation is very ego-driven. It's very electric. And intent is very, um, it's got this magnetic feeling to it. And it's very pure. If your girlfriend is experiencing with you by push it, putting her hand on your chest, not only are you getting this message that you're supported um, from a cognitive perspective, um, you're also getting this energetic intent for her to, to experience with you. And so um, any feelings of, you know, whatever, whatever created that anxious response for you, you're not alone in it. And I think that a lot of times when we're experiencing panic and anxiety, it's a disconnect in general from 
either ourselves or from our world. And um, it kind of gives us this feeling like we don't have ground to stand on. And so your girlfriend coming up to you and putting her hand on your chest is, has this a grounding effect in a very magnetic way because it's her love for you. That's it. what she's doing. Her action is an expression. It's a representation of her in, intent to connect with you. And maybe you don't recognize all of that in a very conscious way when it's occurring, but your body does and your energetic space within you can recognize that. You know, it's interesting that you brought up grounding because uh, obviously um, so many of my listeners and so many people in the world uh, don't have a significant other, someone around to place their hands on their chest to help them feel grounded. Yes. And my acupuncturist uh, told me because I'm, I'm, I'm very much like, uh, I forget the guy who flies too close to the sun, but uh, I'm that guy. And, and, she and said, your name's Leo. Yeah, funny. my name's Leo. <laughs> 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 um, and, and so she said for me to, to, to get grounded was to, uh, you know, walk on grass or uh, go out to the ocean um, mm-hmm. or sand. She said grass, sand, or ocean. Uh, barefoot and to do that every day to help you feel grounded. Uh, and I know that you, you know, you live out there in Cape Cod. Is, is that one of the reasons why you're out there? And can you talk to us about other ways to get grounded when we don't have somebody else around us to place their hands on our chest? Yes, that's it. Those are all great questions too. Um, so yes, I do live. I, I was born and raised on, in Cape Cod. God, I was born in Falmouth. Um, there are scientific studies about ionization uh, when you're surrounded by salt water. I think that's why a lot of people are really drawn to the salt water. Um, I don't know any studies off the top of my head, but um, there is a very ground. I, I think that when we talk about grounding, we can think in terms even of electricity. Um, you know, we have ion channels throughout our whole body, and it's how our body produces and creates stimulation. And so when, when I think of grounding, I'm thinking of kind of balance, of ionic balance within our bodies. Um, when you walk barefoot, you are, you know, effectively, you're connect, you're making contact with the Earth's surface electrons, <clears throat> and that neutralizes free radicals in your body, which just means, um, you know, there's, there's energy in your body looking for that electron to be donated to create stability in those atoms. So there's, there's so much scientific background and, and I'm not sure how many studies are being done on some of this. Cause you know, so, a lot of this was considered like woo woo, even 20, 30 years ago, even when, you know, when the hippies would talk about some of this stuff, there wasn't the scientific um, evidence to back any of it up, but it is shown that, you know, there is a connection with those surface electrons of the earth. When you put your feet directly into the earth, you are absorbing, um, you are changing your, your neurochemistry on a very basic level. Um, as far as grounding when you don't have, so yes, we've been in quarantine. This is literally like (laughs) the storm, right? As far as being grounded, so many people have been displaced. I mean, I still work as a nurse and I still work in psych and I'm, I've been doing case management. Um, and a lot of these people depended and relied on their routines. A lot of these people that have mental illness and instability 
you know, depended on their programs to give them structure and they lost that. Um, and we did see a lot of spikes in suicide and we have seen a lot of spikes in, you know, hospitalizations um, and then people not being able to, to have that physical contact, even if it's just being in a room of people that under, they feel understands them. So the isolation has not been healthy for anyone. I mean, I'm speaking of the people that I work with, but even right up through people considered healthy, um, the best way that I found to combat, I don't want to say combat because I don't really like the energy that that word carries, but uh, I would, meditation was my only means of connection aside from my daughter, um, those first few months of the quarantine. And I mean, other than social media, but that's pretty surface level. Um, the meditation that I teach is a guided gratitude meditation. At least that's what I've titled it. But really, it's um, it's a visualization technique that I use to help people connect with themselves. And essentially, um, it's using a memory that inspires the feeling of gratitude, which is that, you know, that tingle in the center of your heart, that that feeling of openness or warmth. I mean, everybody describes it differently. But then I effectively have those people visualize a double of themselves and shrink that that double into that space. And it's amazing how many people experience a warmth around them, like a hug. So, you know, physically you can go up and touch someone and, and, and feel their physical body against your physical body. And when, when there's an absence of that, when you only have yourself to connect with, it's, it's, you're entering a different space because it's energetic. It's an energetic connection with yourself. And essentially you're holding yourself, but you, the visualization doesn't really uh, give that depiction of physically holding yourself. You're, you're holding your own gratitude and using that gratitude to facilitate a warmth and a, and a sense of connection. And, um, you know, people have told me like, wow, I've never felt myself that way before, or, uh, I haven't felt that since I was a child or, you know, we've really lost this connection with ourselves. Um, and sometimes the most beautiful thing about relationships is, you know, if you have, it's what it sounds like you have this security and this vulnerability uh, with your girlfriend where you can be, you know, the Leo and all of his greatness and the Leo and all of his tenderness and, and his, you know, weaker, quote unquote, weaker moments. I don't think anxiety is a weakness. I think, I think it's just a message, but um, you can kind of use that as a means to connect with yourself. So when I ask people to do this meditation, I start off by asking them to think of a memory where they were connecting with someone and they felt grateful for it, whether it was holding the door open for, you know, some, an elderly woman or, you know, an act of service, um, any act of kindness, really, that facilitated that warm feeling of, because essentially we don't realize we're, we're grateful for ourselves and our ability to give love and to be kind and to be tender. We don't see it that way when we're holding the door open for someone who's struggling to get through the door, but that's essentially what it is. It's just projected outward and giving to another. So teaching people to kind of essentially make that inversion and connect with themselves can give them a sense of connection that doesn't require another physical body. You know, what I love about what you just said is that that part of being grateful for for being able to love and being able to be tender and being able to show up for someone else. I think that I've talked to so many people and 
they they talk about how you know they try to do the daily gratitude and they run out of things to be grateful for and i think that a lot of times when we think about gratitude we think about it think about it in terms of what we've received like oh i'm thankful for my house i'm thankful uh that i'm healthy i'm thankful that uh, i can pay my bills etc cetera, etc cetera. and i don't think uh, and i know especially for me i never really thought of gratitude as what I'm able to contribute to others and uh, right. the, the, how I'm able to show up for others and to be of assistance to others and how I'm able to make other people laugh or, you know, be engaged or, you know, uh, uh, feel good about themselves or, uh, you know, the things that we do. Uh, that's an interesting uh, perspective on it. And that comes from people that have a hard time being grateful for themselves. So I started those workshops as self-love workshops and teaching people how to love themselves. And you very quickly realize that it's the people that have difficulty loving themselves that are ha have this natural aptitude for giving, right? And a lot of people that are very giving find themselves feeling very empty because, you know, maybe there's a lack of reciprocity in their relationships or, um, because they know how to show up for other people, but have a very difficult time showing up for themselves. And I feel that making that connection with every time you show up for someone else, you're actually showing up for yourself. But there's a cognitive leap that has to occur there through understanding. And it's it can only happen somatically. It can only happen through feeling that you recognize that, wow, this is a capability. I'm capable of, not only am I aware enough of my external environment to understand that this elderly woman's having a hard time getting through the door, but I'm, I'm able to take swift action and it's from my heart. It's, it's, it's an intention that I'm putting out into the universe to care for and love another person in the most fundamental, even though seemingly subtle way. And once you, once you take that cognitive leap from the outside to the inside and recognize that that's your gift, that's your capability, that you have that degree of awareness you're like, oh, wow, like there is something inside of me and you can feel it and you can feel almost this expansion in your heart center. And it's, it's, it can be a very powerful shift when you're witnessing somebody moving through it. Because like you said, there is a lot of emphasis on gratitude. And I'm actually, I'm actually in the middle of writing a book because, you know, there is a lot of emphasis on gratitude, but how the hell do we get there? You know, a lot of people are like, I try to do the gratitude list and I try to do this and I try to do that. And the problem is, Gratitude isn't just a concept. It's an experience. It's a feeling. It's, it's the manifestation of an intent. Um, you know, when, we, when we're grateful for our house, what are we really grateful for? We're grateful for security. We're grateful to feel safe. And, and all of that is this internal connection with our own needs. Um, so what are we really grateful for? We're grateful for being able to meet our own needs. And I think that when you break it down that way, it's it to me it just it's it's an inversion it's an inversion because you're taking the focus from the external and flipping it inward um and i feel that a lot of people that struggle with self-love need to learn this practice of everything they're emphasizing in the external and flipping it inward and making these connections to the intent of of their actions I love that idea of we're grateful for being able to meet our own needs. Um, yes. Yeah, because usually when we think about things to be grateful for, it, it's like it has to be something grand. 
and and uh, and worldly and uh you know i gotta if i help one person no big deal if i help a million people then that's something to be grateful for but these these small daily wins these wins within our circle within our control are something to celebrate and to feel i love that aspect i you know i hadn't really thought about it when i when my mom my mom is constantly sharing gratitude for her health and i could i could feel it i can she puts her hand over her heart she closes her eyes and it you could tell it's coming from her solar plexus or wherever yes. and and she just like thank you god for my health as long as i have my health I'm, thank you thank you thank you and she says it so many times and throughout my entire life that's the only thing that i've ever heard her i mean she she's been grateful for other things but always her health has been and she's never been hospitalized for anything not that she's never been sick but you know me i've had like uh, surgeries i've been in and out the ho- and and she's never been in and out the hospital uh and and i truly believe that her gratitude for her health is part of it and even though she didn't have the best diet it, she definitely <laughs> yeah but but just gratitude for it yeah, and it's a resonance, you know, if she's connecting with that magnetic feeling of it rather than so when you're when you're when you're creating your gratitude list and you're sitting down, you're like, I'm grateful for my house and I'm grateful for this and I'm grateful for that. There's a very mental element to making that list. You know, there's a very electrical sensation that's occurring when you're connecting with the concept of grateful for my house. But when you're really sitting in your heart center and connecting with the intent of that gratitude, which like I had, like I said previously is, is more of a gratitude for meeting your own needs, which essentially being grateful for meeting your own needs is being grateful for the ability to connect with yourself. And so it sounds like, and your mom's amazing. I'd love to meet her someday, (laughs) but it sounds like she's really connecting with that magnetic quality of gratitude, which is you know, that connection to God, um, and in my opinion, in my perspective, you know, you, you're connecting with God when you're connecting through that magnetic space, which is your heart center. Oh yeah. People who have met my mom, kidnap my mom, like they become, <laughs> I, I brought her to LA once and Bad I introduced idea. her to some friends and, uh, and now I can't even talk to my mom because she was on the phone one of my other friends that she met. Yeah, I'm like, first of all, I didn't know that y'all exchanged phone numbers. I mean, <laughs> that should have been ran past me, you know? So Yeah, you should have been the middleman there. Yeah, and, and now she's telling me about what my friends are going through. And I'm just like, I, I don't understand what's happening here. You're, you're, Do you feel threatened by that? I, oh, completely. I'm not even going to lie. I'm possessive. I feel threatened. I'm a, I'm a jealous type. I, I don't want none of it. It's my mama. And that's your mama. Want, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and then my friends are telling me about what my mom is. I'm like, hold on. Like, I, I don't, I didn't, what? Oh, well, anyway, really, right. you know, your mama's a light. She's a light and she's sharing her light. And that's what everybody really wants because, you know, connecting to your own light comes, comes, you first have to learn to connect with the light of the other. So I'm, I'm really big into philosophy. I've read a lot of existential philosophy. Um, there's a lot of self and other in existential philosophy and a lot of connections with values. Um, and I feel very strongly that part of the journey is learning to connect authentically with another in 
being able to authentically connect with yourself. And a lot of times people do this through gurus or through God. You know, there's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person, but I, I can see how every religion is a representation of spirituality. And I feel so strongly that even when people, you know, start going to church after, you know, or if you even think about, you know, 12 steps for, for addicts and things like that, connecting with a higher power is essentially the concept of the other, but attempting to actually connect in a very intentional magnetic way with an other teaches you how to connect in a very intentional magnetic way with yourself. And, you know, your mom, if she's one of those, those women, that's just, you know, a torchbearer <laughs> carrying the light through this dark space, then, you know, she's going to be bringing forward people that are looking to connect with that light and, and eventually hopefully connect with themselves. You know, I love that you brought up light uh, because you talked about shadow work earlier. Uh, yes. Can you talk to us about what shadow work is? I think about shadow boxing, like those old <laughs> Kung Fu movies, but I have a feeling that's like not that. quite what you're, what you're referring to. It's a good depiction. It's a good illustration because sometimes it certainly feels like battling, um, you know, an evil twin or something like that. Um, when you get into parts work, uh, so shadow work isn't shadow work is part of like a spiritual community's representation of what you would call uh, parts work in psychological terms. Um, there's a wonderful um, type of therapy called IFS, Integrated Family Systems. Um, and it essentially, there's a, there's a, there's a very heavy, like almost Buddhist foundation where it talks about how we all have parts. We're, you know, we're not just this one cohesive, you know, if, if humans were one cohesive person, there wouldn't be all this craziness occurring all the time. Um, it's, it's a denial of specific parts of us, parts we were taught to repress in order to be accepted. Um, and repressing those parts, they kind of turn into shadows. And so that's where the spiritual part comes in uh, and it, you know, where they label it shadow work. But it's really taking these exiled parts of you and integrating them into your parts system. So uh, imagine a living room. Imagine your mind is like a living room. And you know, we all hear hear quote unquote voices in our head, not in a pathological sense where we're, you know, multiple personality or schizophrenic. Um, but every human being has this, you know, it's depicted very classically with, you know, the angel on one shoulder, haha, no pun intended, and <laughs> the devil on the other, um, where we kind of have this internal dialogue that can conflict sometimes when we're making choices or when we're, uh, you know, navigating specific circumstances. And it, it, it's more simplistic to say, you know, there's an, an angel side and a devil side. Um, but realistically, when you look at it uh, through the lens of parts work, you have multiple parts. Uh, you have like this rebellious teenager part. You have this super critical, analytical, judgmental part. You have, you know, your child self. You have all these different parts. Um, and parts work can really help you identify these parts. And I do do this in my workshops with my, with my clients, uh, where I help them identify their parts based on actions that are happening now. So you can take any present circumstance and break it down into there being um, a multitude of parts that are kind of uh, 
fighting each other for the driver's seat, fighting each other to make the decision. So, um, and then I always, I always revert back to existential philosophy because it's really funny when you think about anguish, um, you kind of reach a place where you're like, you have to make choices in life and your choices, your choices are, there's so many different spaces where you navigate choice from you have, you know, your, the emotional space, you have an intellectual space. Um, and so when you sit down with these parts in this, you know, in this living room, so to speak, uh, parts work is really about getting those parts of yourself to work together rather than fight for dominance. Um, if you've ever been in a situation where you make a resolution and we can just say your higher self is the part making a resolution, like I am going to eat less sugar, for example. Um, and then all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, eating uh, a container of brownies. <laughs> you could essentially say that, you know, there's a part of you, probably your child part, that there's there's an instant gratification in in meeting um, in meeting the need for sugar. And we could go into all of the physiology of why we crave sugar, especially with this pandemic and being isolated and wanting to increase our serotonin levels. Um, but with parts work, it's essentially saying like, before you make this choice, and, and this really comes with awareness, and it's always gradual, and it's always by degree. But if you can catch yourself before you make that decision to grab the container of brownies, and you can sit down and you can say, all right, my higher self or my um, the part that operates from my prefrontal cortex and understands, you know, risks and um, executive functioning type skills had made this decision. But then there's this, say, child part coming in that feels, you know, uh, some sense of lack and they want to fill this sense of lack by engaging in this behavior that this higher self part has deemed forbidden. Um, you, you end up with this tension inside, but if you can sit with those two parts and you can say, all right, like, how can I meet this part's need and then also meet this part's need? And that's what parts work is about. It's about integrating all these separate parts of yourself that have separate needs. Like the higher self part has this need to live a healthier life, um, and whatever other things that come along with that. But then this other part of you has this need for, uh, a serotonin, you know, boost. And maybe that's you know, lack of connection, maybe that child part actually needs connection with an other, um, you know, needs some demonstration of love. But maybe that child part was taught at some point in their life to use food as, uh, you know, to fill that space or to meet that need, because maybe, maybe emotional connection wasn't something available for that child part. So you get into, I mean, it can be really complex. Um, but the thing about shadow work is essentially identifying your exiles and teaching them how to come to the living room and have a conversation with you instead of um, what I call the hijack which is when all of a sudden, you know, you've eaten five out of the 10 of this package of brownies before you come to awareness because you were hijacked by this part that had a need and felt it was going to go ignored. I feel Sorry, like I you got cameras in my house right now because <laughs> my girl, no cameras, bought, she bought some, uh, now she made some muffins last night. She made like 12 of them, but, but she, she's figured out who I am by now. And she knew damn well that right as soon as she uh, made them, she had to hide them from me because uh, I was going to get hijacked. And, and then hijacked, those, yeah. And then all, all those cupcakes were about to get hijacked too or whatever she, she made last night. And sure enough, as soon as she turned her back at 8-1, and she was like, what, 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 who? 
<laughs> and I tried to grab two. That's what she don't know. I tried to grab two, but she well, came back. Well, now she knows. Before. Yeah, now she knows. <laughs> um, and you're right. You know, it's in my calendar. I have noticed that in the middle of the day, um, my, uh, I guess it has to do with my circadian rhythm at this time of the year. Um, I, I need endorphins and serotonin, all those things. But it's in the middle of the day. In the morning, I'm good. Uh, up until about noon, I'm good. Uh, between five and nine, I'm good. But middle of the day, and then if, I'm, if I stay up too late, if I stay up past 9, 30, 9, 9, 30, then all of a sudden the hijacking begins. So I've, I've, I've realized that there are certain times of the day where the, the terrorists try to, try to storm the building, you know? That's what, that's what I call it. Straight yeah, up because no. cause it, it, cause it, it, it doesn't make like. sense. Yeah, it's what it feels like. Like that's Otherwise, like, yeah. I would wake up and go straight for the muffins, but I don't. Like I wake up, I want to drink, I have my green smoothie or eggs or whatever, and then something happens in the middle of the day where uh, there's just this slow chipping away at everything that I built in the morning, and, then, and, and we're in trouble for about... So I'm going to suggest something for you. Please and this, yes, um... I, do you journal at all? I do journal, but okay. I, I don't. I and it's I've gotten away from it in terms of using it as a midday thing. I, I do a little bit in the morning, and then I do most of it at night. But uh, uh, I should be doing it in the middle of the day. Is that what you're going to say? No. <laughs> That's not what I was oh, say. I'm good. Good. I, I want to learn good. more. Tell no, me you're more. Good. Um, so. What I so in the morning, believe it or not, energetically we're most conscious in the morning, which is probably why you're good in the morning and you're a good little boy. You're a good little Leo in the morning, right? Um, in the morning we're actually most conscious, and it, you're right. There are circadian rhythms, um, and they dip. I mean, I don't know. I've actually never researched this in terms of time zones, but you know, around here, you know, we all kind of eat around the same time, so um, that that window between noon and, and dinner time. So between lunch and dinner, it's very typical for our circadians to kind of drop and our blood sugar to kind of drop around two, three in the afternoon. Um, so physiologically that's true, but also when, when our energy store is dropping, you know, we, it's so much, it's so easy to become more unconscious when we're tired or when we're depleted to any degree. Um, so the, the morning time energetically, we're the most conscious when we wake up, we, you know, we're refreshed. Um, and so my suggestion to you and what I have my clients do is, um, have a parts meeting in the morning and it sounds really crazy, but take your journal and write down your needs or your anticipated needs that day. And it's always going to change because it's circumstantial, right? So whatever degree of stress you're meeting that day, um, whatever degree of free time, you know, there's that old adage, like, uh, about free hands do the devil's work or something crazy. Um, but you, when you sit down in the morning and you sit and it can take a little bit of time because you have to kind of identify your parts. But right now we know that there's a higher self Leo that doesn't want to eat all the cupcakes. <laughs> and we know that there's likely a child part, child self part of Leo that does want to eat all the cupcakes. So when you engage these parts first thing in the morning, I mean, for me, I have at least four, you know, parts that try to take control of the, of the vehicle at any, at, 
at times when I fall into um, unawareness or, or decreased state of conscious awareness. Um, but for for purposes of of Leo, we're going to talk about you sitting in the morning with your journal and you saying, what are these two contrasting needs that I might have today? So, you know, what what needs does child Leo have today and what needs do, do does adult Leo have today? And then you have to be honest about it, though, because child Leo might be like, I'm not going to lie. I have thought about eating that whole goddamn thing of cupcakes by two o'clock today. And that but that's being honest with yourself because that part is, you know, that's what that part is calling for. Um, even though the representation of the cupcakes being sugar, like what does, what does little child Leo really want? That's, that's a whole different layer. But if you sit down in the morning and you have what I call a parts meeting and you sit down with, and kind of anticipate the different spaces within you that have different needs. Um, if, you know, if adult Leo has these tasks to complete today, then you write those down because that's, what's going to be important priority wise to that part of you. Um, if child Leo is is feeling like antsy or feeling like he really needs to make sure that he has some kind of physical connection or some kind of essentially a serotonin boost you sit with that part and you say well how can we meet this need today and it's it's really interesting because when you sit with your parts and you kind of anticipate their needs and then kind of come up with a contract with them about how you're going to meet that need you become so much more aware of their presence in your life and the hijack will gradually subside. Um, so just try that. Try in the morning sitting with your parts and saying, you know, well, what does what does this part of me actually need? Does it actually need the cupcakes or is it looking for that serotonin boost? And how can I get that serotonin boost and be, you know, proactive about it? Because it's you're setting up, you're like, okay, I know that um, I tend to go for the sweets at this time of the day. So what is an alternative to me kind of meeting that? Because it's not just an emotional need. It's a physiological need. Your body needs these neurotransmitter, this neurotransmitter release, and it's going to figure out a way to get it. And if it's going to get it through the cupcakes, then that's how it's going to get it, right? But if you can come up with an alternative and you can say, maybe I take 20 minutes to find a way to, um, I, don't, I don't know what your schedule is with your girlfriend, or if you guys can take 20 minutes around that time to snuggle, and just sit with each other. And I know that that seems impossible sometimes with the crazy chaotic schedules we lead, but you might find that really that's all that this part of you is really wanting. And it wasn't actually wanting this, you know, maybe you guys can make a healthy snack together. Um, but if you find that, I mean, a lot of people use food to fill that, that void for that neurochemical release. It's a, it's probably one of the most typical things that I see in uh, with my clients. So and again, everybody's different. So maybe that doesn't work for you. But I would definitely strongly suggest having a parts meeting in the morning and anticipating those parts needs and seeing if you can preemptively kind of create a contract to meet those needs in an alternative way so that you're not becoming hijacked. Oh, my God. My girlfriend would probably pay you a million dollars for you <laughs> recommending that we, that we cuddle for 20 minutes. Because it's but you might love it. You know, that part of you might just be elated. <laughs> here's here's what's interesting is I, I think that because growing up, I wasn't physically self-soothed a lot or even right. emotionally too much. Um, right. I, it, it's not a default for me. Food is. Exactly. However, when me and Minovia 
as Spanish for girlfriends are taking Spanish right now. So I'm trying to show off a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> when, when, when we, when we do cuddle, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that was nice. That was, you know, I feel relaxed. You know, it, it's because in my head, it, and, and I think a lot of people grew up with this, you know, no, you know, growing up cuddling wasn't, you just didn't cuddle to cuddle. Like cuddle was, you know, to, to, to you, you were on a mission, a journey. It was, it was, a. uh, <laughs> You know, there, it was some was root a, chakra stuff, yeah, yeah, right? There's some root chakra stuff happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like listen, I ain't just, I ain't just, I ain't just holding space for you right now. Like some things, right? To, um, and so I, I realize that as you're saying that, and as I'm talking about it right now, that that probably is mostly what I associate it with versus uh, also being a self soothing technique and a way for me to just relax yes. and calm and. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then move throughout the rest of my day. So I, I appreciate you bringing that to light. Well, I mean, and it's, it's individually up to people, right, to rewire their neural circuitry. Because eventually, you know, if, if you start creating this pattern, it will become a neural pattern where you're not necessarily reaching for the sweets to create that cascade of neurochemicals. But you're, you're not alone. I mean, I grew up with a lot of trauma, too. And like, I only got hugged if somebody wanted something from me. So, you know, like I think that it's really important um, to recognize how our trauma creates our patterns of behavior and how it hardwires us to move in certain directions to get certain needs met. Um, and that's obviously where uh, you know, knowledge is power. Uh, you know, I I can't tell you how many people have that same relationship with food. And it's, it makes perfect sense. But like you said, you know, um, if you grow up in circumstances where physical affection either A, is non-existent or B, exists in a sense that is um, not constructive to your being. Like, I mean, some women can't be touched because the only time they were ever touched was when they were sexually abused, you know. So it's really hard to work through uh, the traumas that create this neural circuitry and, and rewire yourself. Um, and it's a, it, it takes a lot of courage because it takes a lot of awareness and being mindful of your patterns. Uh, and you really have to dig deep because eventually what comes out are some emotions. Cause what you might find if you start cuddling with your girlfriend for 20 minutes in the middle of the day is you might find tears start coming because there's a part of you that, you know, feels grief and loss over not having, this very wholesome connection, you know, ingrained in your brain. Um, and, you know, you're going to start losing a part of you in a sense, uh, a part of you you've held for a really long time. That's really limited you in a lot of ways um, and kept you from your goals. But, you know, this is what we refer to in spiritual communities as like a small ego death. Once you start reprogramming your brain, you really have to let go of this part of you that, created so much um disappointment in in your life because and nobody's blaming our parents our parents do the very very best they can in those moments um you know they're a lot of times repeating their own parental traumas um and not and not recognizing it um so i don't mean to you know be negative about our parents but it is up to us to to recognize and 
essentially unlearn these patterns of behavior. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm just giving you this little preemptive speech because if you start crying in your 20 minute cuddle sessions, you will emerge on the other end of that with such a profound connection with yourself um, and with your girlfriend. But, you know, just just be wary that, you know, you you might bring up some emotional uh, some emotional stuff in rewiring your brain not to reach for the sugary carbohydrates in the afternoon. Oh, my, my girl seen me cry like 50 times already. And That's we only beautiful. been dating since October. So uh, that is beautiful. All, yeah, that 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 tenderness is is all I'm all tendered out. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so far. So far. <laughs> so, but you know, so you know, for the listeners out there, because once again, I'm I'm always thinking about people in different situations and people who may not have a special uh, someone in their life, or or right. may not feel like they have someone special. They a lot of times trust. we have resources and people in our life that we're not even aware of. We don't trust that that they are who they say they are or whatever. But um, so I, I've also found that um, walking out in nature in the middle of the day helps me mm-hmm. a lot. It goes back to the grounding and, uh, and or going to the beach in the middle of the day it makes me feel connected, surrounded, something about, you know, being in, in water or taking a bath. You know, Mel Robbins posted a video about her taking a bath in the middle of the day. And she was just like, yeah, I, I need a hug. And yeah. so this is a way to. <laughs> <laughs> but you if you to- really, if you take that, if you peel that back, she's connecting in gratitude. Like when you sit in a bathtub and you feel that warmth around you, you're automatically connected to your heart space. Next time you take a bath, you take a bath, you're probably a pretty big guy. It'd be interesting to see you in a bathtub. But when you take a bath, that's the same. It's the same. It's connecting with this intent inside of yourself. And some people can't handle baths, actually. The the water and the heat and all of the stuff it depends on your uh, window of tolerance. But that's who is it that you said that takes the bath in the middle of the day? Mel Robbins. Mel Robbins. Yeah, she's, okay. uh, look that up. she's like a self-help. I, I want to say self-help. That, that might not be specifically, but yeah, she has a pretty big following. Um, i check her out. And, and you're right. Yeah, I'm a big guy. So yeah, my knees are always dry when I get out the bath is what I'm trying <laughs> to tell you. Every, everything else <laughs> is wet. I, my, my, my knees are still ashy at the end of the 20 minute. Uh, Gotta put session. some coconut oil on those yeah, suckers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I, I made that mistake once. I was like, "Yeah, let me put some <laughs> coconut oil," and then went to bed, and I and I was sweating so profusely, and then my my sheets, <laughs> I, I had to throw my sheets away. Like all, coconut oil and 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 sheets just don't, don't they don't get no. along. Those are the two I parts. Agree. Yeah, you don't want those, that shadow. That, <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to meet in the morning and afternoon at night. I mean, you must no, have been pretty yeah. coconut oiled up. That's oh, uh, I was. Oh, yeah. I, I, just, I was just like the more the merrier, right? I, I just lathered it. <laughs> Not lathered always. It on. <laughs> Not supposed to use the whole jar, huh? Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. It took me three days to to get the coconut Wash oil it off. off. Yeah, it yeah. Was, wasn't good. Um, <laughs> but you were talking about your childhood. Where Where are you from? Tell us a little bit about your your family and growing up. Are you an only child? No, no. Um, family dynamics are interesting. So I, I was born and raised on Cape Cod. I was born at Falmouth Hospital. I spent my summers riding my bike to the library and down to the canal. Um, I, where I lived was surrounded by forests. So just so lucky to early on cultivate my relationship with nature. Um, 
you know, I always had like a backpack and a water bottle and a book and I would just go find a tree and just read all day. Summer vacations were, um, whether I was going to the library to find a new book, I mean, books, so books were my solace, the way that some people use food to get that neurochemical cascade. I used books and I just ate them up. Um, I read a lot as a kid and the library was my solace. It was the place that I felt the most at home where I felt the most peace. Um, and then even into high school, uh, always a total nerd. <laughs> I remember my senior year of high school, I did, um, a paper on brain hemisphere dominance. And I pulled the entire school. I sat outside for two weeks, sat outside the cafeteria, like bribing kids, paying them like a dollar <laughs> to take my little survey so that I could write this crazy um, senior, like a senior thesis, uh, my senior year of high school. And my, I remember my teacher was just like, this is, this is a little wild. <laughs> this is a little, you know, this is a lot more than most seniors do for a senior paper. Um, so I'd started out actually wanting to be a geneticist throughout high school. And then after high school, I decided I wanted to go into nursing because I, I liked the versatility of the field. I felt like you could kind of take a nursing degree and kind of go anywhere, uh, which is still true. Um, you know, nursing is an amazing uh, launch point because not only are you taught cultural competence, you know, and there's, there's all these different aspects of being a nurse that really help you succeed in a very broad way. You're, you're taught critical thinking skills. You're also taught, um, I mean, nobody can teach bedside manner, right? But the majority of nurses that get into the field, um, you know, they're helpers. And, you know, I found pretty quickly that, um, you know, I have this belief that everything outside of us is just a reflection of something internal. And my, my drive to support and help people, uh, was represented in the external as being a nurse, but it was really my lack and inability to help myself in a lot of ways. Um, and I, and I was really, I'm really, really blessed that I learned that early on. Um, and I think that it's still the same, you know, anybody that has a drive to help others has seen some degree of suffering and really just wants to ease the suffering of, of others. And I got into psych nursing. I basically fell into it. Um, you know, my history, it's hard to speak about sometimes, uh, but, you know, my, my parents have struggled with addiction. Um, and I, you know, I was, I was always described by my pediatrician as parentified. Um, I have seven siblings, um, but all of them are, you know, different, different parent combinations. Uh, and I am the oldest and for, for a good chunk about three of them lived with with us in the home. So, um, you know, growing up, I definitely stepped to the plate as far as uh, responsibility goes. And uh, my youngest sibling is 10 years younger than me. Um, and so there's a versatility there in ages. And I learned so much about people and humans by just watching my environment. I remember as a kid, I really felt so um, like I didn't belong a lot of times because, you know, growing up with a lot of responsibility and then trying to kind of infiltrate certain uh, peer groups was just really uncomfortable because I didn't understand why they made the decisions they made or why their focus was where it was. 
And so I kind of, you know, I was pretty introverted and pretty isolated, which is funny because we've talked about astrology and I'm a Leo, (laughs) by the way, which I didn't believe in astrology for the longest time because I, you know, I don't, I'm not representationally a Leo in the, the sense that, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily look for a lot of attention and I'm not materialistic or flamboyant, but then I learned about the whole spectrum of astrology and had a natal chart done, which really represents all the energies that are available when you're, when you're born into a physical form. And I was like, wow, this makes total sense. So uh, I was born during a new moon, which typically um, gives rise to a very introverted Leo, which made a lot of sense. Um, So anyway, growing up, you know, I had to find ways to connect that made sense for me. And a lot of times that was through science because it really helped me make sense of my world. And it was through uh, novels where I would connect with these characters, you know, certain um, personality traits I would really connect with and uh, it would kind of bring me into a totally different space. Um, You know, a form of escapism essentially, but not an unhealthy one like I had seen, you know, uh, with so many of the people around me at the time. Um, and obviously super grateful because it, my, uh, I'm just a sponge. I'm so thirsty to learn different aspects, um, of our experience. And I feel so blessed to have been given the tools, you know, my trauma and my history has really been, like I said earlier, you know, kind of inverted and I've learned how, all of the tools that were necessary for my, you know, perceived survival have actually, I can now at this moment, these last five years, uh, turn those or alchemize them, essentially alchemize them into tools for thriving. And I think that that's, that's really the goal, uh, I think for humanity in a very, very broad and general sense is to learn how to take those unfortunate circumstances and overcoming those adversities and the tools that we have acquired and turn them into a a means to um, move, move into new spaces to create a new, uh, a new person, essentially, you don't have to stay stuck in your past. And that's the biggest thing about, um, you know, we've talked about this being suicide prevention month and, people really get stuck in their roles. And I mean, for whatever reason, as a child, I was never, I never felt limited by my trauma. I always had this deep inner sense that I would transcend it. And I think that that is what saved my life is being able. And it's funny, actually, now just reflecting on that, you know, I always had this internal connection with myself because I didn't have it outside of myself. Like there was no meat, like there were times where we didn't have food. There were times, you know, there's no means for me in my external environment to latch on to anything. I only ever could kind of go deep within myself to find comfort. And, you know, that's a double-edged sword too, because when it comes to relationships, you know, I don't seek external for comfort. I, I, I turn inward. And sometimes that withdrawal is very threatening to some, you know, to can be threatening to a partner, but in the work that I do now, the jump off is teaching people to connect with that internal space because I feel so, so strongly and I've worked in so many spaces with people that really do meet that threshold that are at the edge of their window of tolerance. And, you know, their pain is just unbearable. The anguish is so real that it's visceral. And 
what they're really looking for is connection and they can't find it within themselves to satiate them and they can't find it in their external world to satiate them. And I think that the more we can guide and teach people to connect with that internal space of peace and gratitude, tranquility, kind. I mean, you can label it whatever you want, but really it's, it's a feeling. So there's no real word that can describe it. The more we can teach people how to shift out of this state of mental anguish. I go on these tangents. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm glad that you did. And um, because it's, it's all of value to the listeners, because really one of the things you, you talked about, um, you know, being alone and having to turn within yourself to kind of find uh, solace and peace and, and meaning. And one of the things that really helps us feel connected is when we hear other people sharing their stories that might be either similar to ours or one of, of obstacle and challenges and tragedies and, and then how they've been able to manage it and, and overcome it. It's, you know, I'm, a, I'm introverted also, and it's one of the reasons why I gravitate towards books also. It just makes me feel like, um, you know, I say books are my best friends. You know, they're always there. They never let me down. I mean, are there crappy books? Sure. But um, I, I have a pretty good radar for uh, a, a book that, you know, I'd like or, or would resonate with. But, um, but yeah, so I appreciate you sharing that because other people out there who are into books more than people for the most part are like, oh, yeah, well, people suck too. most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> they really, I mean, no, I mean, I love people and the very, you know, basic, you know, a being to me. I mean, I love people watching. I love to feel a person in their very raw sense. But most of the time, people aren't being themselves. And so I think I talked earlier about intent versus motivation. And a lot of times there's this electric energy with people where they're just projecting the, the you that they want you to see or the them that they want you to see. And it's like I can sense the projection and it's like I'm such a deeply feeling person that if I can't penetrate that or if you won't allow me to, because there's something about energetic permission too, you know, where somebody has to give you permission in some sense to penetrate their defenses. And when they have this like egoic electric mental idea of who they are and they're projecting that out and trying to give you this idea and I can feel who they really are underneath, which sometimes is just like a very burdened, tortured, suffering soul. And I'm like, I want to touch the realness of you. I want to touch the rawness and, and they won't let me penetrate that space. It's just like, Oh, you, you know, I get frustrated because I'm human too. And I'm just like, this is not connecting. This is not, I, I mean, it's hard sometimes when you um, quote unquote, wake up spiritually and you start to really sense even words. Sometimes I, it's so disorienting for me to be in a space with somebody who is so stuck in that mental egoic projection, because I feel I'm I'm essentially having um, a double sensory experience uh, because I'm feeling the, the trueness of their, soul expression and I'm feeling the mental projection that they're attempting to sustain. And that can be very, very exhausting. We, I, we didn't touch on empaths, but that's, uh, that's a big part of, you know, an empath struggle and why they do need so much time alone, because um, trying to balance those two um, inputs energetically is really overwhelming. And I think that somebody that's really in that egoic energy, it's not their fault. They don't recognize that they're doing that. Um, but it really, 
it inhibits authenticity. It inhibits an authentic connection. And it's usually fear-based, right? And, and, I, and, I, and I get it and I understand it, but sometimes it really makes people really difficult uh, to deal with in a, in a broader way because you're, you're not able to facilitate any truth in your interaction. And that is just something that, you know, I guess I've learned over the years just to not even engage. And, and I, and you have to leave the space with compassion too, because you imagine the struggle, imagine how exhausted that person is for trying to project outwardly this uh, concept of themselves over and over and all the time and how much they must be eaten alive by that. Um, it's like, you know, uh, it's cognitive dissonance essentially for somebody experiencing both of those spaces. And then, you know, the person that is really stuck in that egoic energy, um, that mental, sometimes it feels like a net cause you can even be sucked into it. And then, you know, then you find yourself projecting some kind of egoic idea of who you are to someone. And it just turns into this kind of cyclic, exhausting cycle. Um, I don't remember what we were talking about. I went on that tangent. Oh, people sucking. Yeah, we we're talking about people sucking. So that's that's my experience of why people suck sometimes. <laughs> Sounds like shots fired at an X right there, but we're not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> uh, I hope oh, you out there, uh, e- ego, quote unquote, ego who sucks. Um, the you know, but what 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 I love about what you shared is that the the cognitive dissonance, and I think that a lot of Type A people uh, experience this where they're on this treadmill uh, trying to live up to their parents or societal expectations of oh, yeah. who they should be and what they should do and how, you know, what their life should be. And, and, you know, and, and a lot of it's cultural, too. We, we, there's a lot of cultural expectations. You see that, especially, uh, especially with kids and younger people who uh, their parents are, are, are from the East. Uh, I mean... And 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 not to say that it's um, it's only coming from there, but when I think about my my friends who are Asian or Indian, you know, they talk about how much of uh, who they are and who they're supposed to be is uh, culturally dictated, and from their parents, where like my mom was just like, go to work and go to school, like I, you know, whatever right. you do, just do one of those two things. There, there wasn't a grand scheme. Uh, for my life. So, so I do appreciate you, you sharing that. And I feel like we could talk forever. Uh, we could. I but, know. <laughs> uh, but so we're going to have you, we're going to have you back on because we, we, we just, we just started to peel back the layers of the onion. Um, is there, is there anything in terms of uh, the work you do and, and, and helping, you know, we start off talking about anxiety. Uh, right. Is there anything that um, we, anything last notes that we can share to help people who are struggling with anxiety or managing their emotions or to how to get back to themselves, I guess is really how to get key. back to yourself. Yeah. yeah how do you really get back is. to yourself? How do you get back to yourself is really dependent on where you are. So I think that the very first step in getting back to yourself is taking an honest look at where you are. And that can be overwhelming. And it, it really, really, really requires the most truest form of courage you've probably ever encountered. Um, but I think find a safe space where you can do that. Somebody you trust, sit with them and be like, look, this is what I'm struggling with. You know, I want to get back to myself and this is where I am. And I kind of need a sounding board. Um, and it's, and for people that don't have someone that they trust, 
you can do a role play with yourself. And I know that that sounds a little bit crazy, but you sit at a table and you take the part of yourself that you feel most safe with, the part of yourself that's most stable. And then you kind of uh, break yourself into two in a sense and say, you know, to that part of yourself, like you are the part of me that makes the best decisions for us as a whole. And you are the part of me that helps me stay on track with my goals and, and, and you, and allow yourself to be vulnerable with yourself. If you don't have an external person and other to be vulnerable with, allow yourself to be vulnerable with yourself. Because the thing of it is, is that part of you that you've elected to hear you loves you. Like it is the most authentic love that you've, once you start connecting with that space that you will ever feel. And I know it sounds really strange to say, oh, I'm going to make myself two parts. But I mean, if you've ever, I never really did anything with acting. I have friends that have, but you know, when they would practice for certain roles, this is like a similar kind of exercise where you, you break out a part of yourself that you trust with your life, the part of yourself that makes all of the best decisions for you. And then you allow yourself to be broken and vulnerable to that. We'll just call it for you know, lack of a better term, your higher self. Uh, maybe that is the better term or the best term so far. Who knows what it will be years from now. But um, and just kind of hand yourself over and, and write or speak or whatever it is that you need to do to calibrate yourself, because essentially that anxiety and that depression and all of these really dense emotions come from a state of oscillation where you're moving from your highest self during the day where you're at peak performance and you're really, you know, being the person that you, that you see yourself or that you want to be. And then when you get home at night, you're stuck with all your parts, not just that part that you felt driven all day to wear. Um, and so if you can, if you can find a way to really evaluate honestly where you are in this moment, that's really the first step to being able to find your way back to yourself because yourself isn't just one energy. It's, you're a culmination. You are literally strands of experience. Think of a Twizzler. And, you know, every experience you have is a one of those pull apart Twizzlers. And then imagine everything you've experienced in your whole life. You're literally like bundles of Twizzlers. <laughs> you have all of these experiences over your whole life that make up who you are. And if you can find out where you exist in space in relation to yourself, then you can find out how to navigate that space. I don't know if that was clear enough. It doesn't feel like it is, but um, it really helps to have a therapist or somebody that you trust in an external sense. But like you, like you said, Leo, you know, not everybody has that and not everybody can trust. Some of us grow up with so much trauma that there's just absolutely no way we are letting anyone in because it is not safe. Um, and sometimes being alone with ourselves is, is just as painful because we've, we've become fragmented that trauma really fragments people so it's it's such a spectrum you know if you're really struggling with this i can tell you one thing i've been in therapy since i was 5 years old and it saved my life i could never advocate enough for therapy um but it, you have to have a safe connection with the person and that might take a long time to find um but it's it's tough cuz i can't really even tell people if you're if you're in a space where you're considering suicide or seriously contemplating suicide um and you're listening to this you're you're you've already met your threshold you're already standing at the edge of your window of tolerance um and you know depending on 
where you find yourself within that window of tolerance, where you find yourself in relation to that edge, there's, there's no harm in, in getting help. Um, you know, there's, we have, I think today is actually like the day for national suicide awareness or something. It popped it up is. in my calendar. I was just like, whoa, okay, wow. Okay, universe, hello. Um, <laughs> but if, you know, if you are here in this space where you are seriously contemplating suicide, the bottom line is that no rational argument is going to sway you because you are so far away from that portion of your brain that is going to rationalize anything because the way you feel the the anguish the pain it's unbearable it's visceral and the bottom line is that you're seeking connection and even though connection can be in terms of you know like we've talked about in a physical sense with an other i can't stress enough that where you're at right now is an energetic space and there are countless other people that have been in that space and the thing of it is 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 if you're willing if you can feel us here sitting beside you if you can feel us holding the space for you and maybe maybe feeling supported feels feels good or maybe feeling supported you know, brings feelings of discomfort and and maybe tears. But the bottom line is if if you're willing to allow people that have been here before you to hold this space with you, like a part of you needs this. A part of you needs to feel connected. And if you can't connect to yourself and if you can't connect externally to someone else, connect to this actual space, this anguish, this pain, this visceral tearing apart, because anybody that's ever been in this position, literally feels torn apart it's a very very somatic experience there are other people that have been here and we are here holding space for you and the question really becomes can you allow us to energetically hold this space for you because in doing that you're allowing us to meet your need for connection it's not it's maybe not the love dopamine serotonin connection that you're really seeking there are people here. There are people here energetically, like you're not alone and, and no rational argument is going to take you away from the space, but we can sit here and hold you until you're ready to move. That was beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing that angel. Um, and it, it almost answers my last question because um, I feel like there's always one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Angel? Oh yeah, I guess I guess what I said definitely kind of touches that. But um such a powerful question, you know. Um put your hand over your heart. It's beating, you know. Um really this anguish comes down to choice and nobody can make a choice for another person. Nobody can tell any person what's best for them when, when it really comes down to it. Um, but I don't, I don't feel that it's appropriate to, you know, tell somebody in this space, anything that's going to make sense because there's no degree of confusion deeper than the space that this person is in. And I feel that if I had one piece of advice 
and I, and I've had friends that have, you know, that have chosen to end their lives. And I have friends that I've helped out of this dark, dark, dense cave. Uh, I would just, yeah, put your hand over your heart and think about, I would use the gratitude meditation that I teach other people. Um, put your hand over your heart and think about a time that you had the ability to give the love that you seek and understand that having and carrying that capability is what makes you worthy to live another minute or another second or another day. That capability to show and bear your heart in a way that seems superficial, that that doesn't necessarily seem deep, but I can tell you, I can assure you that holding a door open for someone really makes their heart explode. And, and you've done that because you're worthy of taking up space here in this physical plane. Thank you so much, Angel. I don't know if that's what you're used to. <laughs> I did listen to two podcasts of yours, but um, yeah, I, knew, I did know that you asked that question, but even no matter how many times I turn that question over in my mind, and I, and I have to tell you, I've walked many people through this space um, and I'm grateful that most of the time it's effective, but uh, there's never one thing that ever brings anyone back to the light. It's always... It's always a like a culminative uh, approach. Um, and the worst part is that that space comes back. You know, you can you can give someone any piece of advice, but I mean, it, it really all comes down to connection and f- a feeling of belonging. For me, I mean, I've been there before too. it's it's that sense of powerlessness. and um, sometimes suicide for people just gives them a, a sense of power because they have a choice. Um, but that choice goes both ways, you know. Um, you can choose to end it and you can choose to see what happens tomorrow. So, you know, ending it isn't the ultimate uh, choice of power. I think that choosing to be brave enough and choosing to have the courage to see what happens tomorrow is actually a more powerful position. Thank you so much, Angel. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. You can uh, check out the 1-800-SUICIDE. Did I say check out the 1-800? That's not <laughs> call 1-800-SUICIDE. Maybe they're checking it out because they're yeah. exercising their choice <laughs> and their freedom to choose. So, yeah, check yeah, it per- out. I yeah, mean, peruse 1-800. <laughs> but no, but seriously, think about the release that is that it's a choice. Because when you say, like, go do this or go do that. When you're saying, check it out, it's, there's, there's no resistance in that message. It's not like you're, you know, uh, relaying some type of expectation. I think check it out is a, is a great way. It's a great way <laughs> to That's present. So funny. I, I love, yeah. I, that from now and be like, yeah, go check it out. You know, go yeah. see what they up to at the 1-800 as, you know, it's like a, like a, a oh, <laughs> yeah. like it's a furniture store commercial. Go check out. Stop on by. One eight hundred S U I C I D E. Isn't it amazing yeah. how us humans we just use humor to deflect our discomfort? I love it. It's such a great way. <laughs> but, but it's also a great way to you know to. It's like yes, it's a it's a serious topic. However, it it, we don't have to 
talk about it seriously at all times because right. uh, it's, it's, it's about, like you said, the shadow side and, and being able to hold the light and the dark at the same time. So, exactly. so go check out 1-800-S-U-I-C-I-D-D-E. Bom, bom. Uh, go <laughs> check it out now or 1-800-273-TALK. Uh, and all the other numbers are international numbers or text messages. There are groups. In case you can't talk, there are text uh, numbers in the show notes. There are groups that you can join. There are Facebook groups. Uh, Angel, please plug all your things. Where can people find you when, if they want to work with you? Um, so I'm on Instagram as Angel M. Motto. Uh, pretty easy. I'm not, I'm not really not too hard to find. Um, I do have... Um, my work, I do a lot of stuff through Instagram because it's so much easier to just use that platform to integrate rather than having all these other spaces. I mean, I had a website for a while, but it's just like you have to check all these different spots. So Instagram's definitely the easiest way to reach me. Um, so it's angel.m.motto. And I do Instagram lives on Wednesday nights, almost every Wednesday, where I do a guided gratitude meditation. And um, I also discuss topics that have come up with clients during the week. Um just based on some collective energy. Usually people are struggling with similar things at the same time. So, um, and it's definitely just a platform where you can, it, I'm, it's live, so no one else can see you. You can see me, but no one else can see you. And I really like how that fosters uh, anonymity and gives people the ability to be in a safe and vulnerable space without feeling seen. Um, so yeah, Angel and Motto, uh, that's how you find me on Instagram. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, listeners. Uh, you can go, always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thanks so much, Angel. Thank you so much, Leo. Have a wonderful day. Remember, today's episode was brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line and wants you to start living a happier life today. If there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals or feeling connected, go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo now. Enjoy your 10% off and start moving closer to happiness and thriving today.